0: Hello there, Josephine of the Future here. We must apologise for Josephine of the past audio quality. It is not up to our usual It Is Complicated standard, but we do hope you enjoy this episode of It Is Complicated.
1: Hello and welcome to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we talk about everything because it's complicated and I've forgotten the rest of the introduction because Josephine's looking at me with that look.
0: (laughs) Do you want to carry on?
1: I'm trying to remember what else we say. Oh yeah, no, no, I know what we say. Hello and welcome to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we talk about how everything is complicated. Hello Josephine, how are you? Or why don't we start with who are you and we'll do the how are you is going to be most of the episode. So let's do who are you?
0: Hello, uh, my name is Josephine Baird. I am an academic and artist. Prior to very recently, I used to enjoy strutting my proverbial stuff upon the stage, and now I more artistically enjoy drawing pictures of queers and posting on the internet. I am also a lecturer at the University of Uppsala, Game Design Department, where I teach on game design. I'm also a PhD candidate at the University of Vienna, and I like to think of myself as a femme
1: of international mystery even when I'm tired. Hello, Jay. How are you? Who are you? I am Dr. Jay. I use they as a pronoun. I am from the self-defining future. I got to give myself the job title Harbinger of Change. I work for a consultancy called ThoughtWorks where I'm a principal consultant. I also, thanks to the New Zealand government, got to write my own gender. So I'm a transgressive non-binary gender queer. Eventually, I will actually have that or something similar upon a birth certificate because they are now going through the consultation for me to actually go and change my birth certificate to reflect my current gender, which I I think is fucking awesome. I don't think they're quite anticipating what I will want to do with it. It's going to be really interesting when I try that. What else am I? Well, I'm a troublemaker as if the above didn't tell you. And a hashtag queer nuisance because I've been to my second queer lecture, by the way. I heard a really good talk at Q-U-C-L by Grace Lavery about how gender criticality is the biggest threat to academic freedom in our lifetime. It was something similar. And I really loved hearing her talk and the way that she talked about it. But anyway, I went to a queer theory lecture once by Sarah Ahmed and came up with this hashtag queer nuisance and have been using it ever since because I love the idea of being queer, changing everything and changing how something is used and changing how something happens. So, that's me, incredibly enthusiastic. I had some caffeine before this conversation, can you tell? Yes, I can. <laughs> So it has been the longest between recordings that you and I have ever had. Because quite yes. frankly, 2022 has been an even bigger fucker than 2020 and 2021 put together. It's impressive, isn't it? It is incredibly impressive. I can give the pricey from my side as to... What happened? All the uh, uh, work, the uh, uh, stress, uh, uh, transphobia on the internet, stress. My dad's 20th anniversary, predictable stress, but still stress. I broke. I literally broke. Fortunately, this time only for two weeks. I needed to take a couple of days off work, took some time, got my shit together. Over the last month or so, I've been recovering. And I think this week, I finally hit back to 100%. So I am in the bouncy mode. I'm not going to talk about the stuff with my family, but one of the things that came out of that is a real understanding of always what I wanted to hear from a parent. And if I'm never going to hear that, I might as well start saying it to people because the only way I can then hear it is in myself saying it to somebody with that same love and affection that I always wanted to receive.
0: How did that come about?
1: Through my lovely counselling, talking with him about what's been going on with my family actually enabled me to sit down and really examine the things that I really wanted to hear and I know that I will never hear and just really, really started to put that together and go, what are the things that I have always been dying to hear? And I just sat down and started to write it and just really thought a lot about what that would actually mean to hear that and not examining why I never heard it, because that's an entire thing that would actually just drag me through the past and drag me through those things. It's like, what would I have wanted to get out of this? What were the things that I wanted to hear? And the things that I wanted to hear is I'm proud of you. I love you. I think you're an amazing person and I can't wait to see what you do in the future. It sounds so simple to say, and it sounds so basic, and it's like actually hearing those four things is just so amazing, and it's like if I can't have those said to me, I can say them to other people and almost hear myself saying them. So when I say them to somebody, I kind of also say them to myself, but it's also like I can see the reaction of somebody hearing those words, which... I can then go, wow, if they mean that much to that person, and part of me goes, yes, that's how much it would have meant for you to have heard those words from this particular person. So it's a new thing I'm trying. We'll see how it pans out, but it seems to have gone really well. And it meant things like Mother's Day and my dad's anniversary and things like that. I could kind of get through a little bit easier because it's the kind of things may never have been expressed or may never have been explicitly said, but sometimes it's good to explicitly say. Some of us come from cultures and from environments where explicitly saying I love you isn't something that's said. Explicitly saying I'm proud of you isn't something that's explicitly said. And the other things of like, I think you're an amazing person. I can't wait to see what great things you do in the future. Those are just kind of building on the other two. That's the good thing that came out of the last couple of months. I've been through a bit of a ringer, but I don't know whether I'm rebounding or I'm just bounding, but I feel very, very bouncy today. I feel like things have finally snapped in place and clicked. You know what I mean? That moment of like, everything is just, oh, this feels right. There's no dissonance. There's no noise. There's just la, but not even la. It's just there. That's great. And that's in a TLDR fashion. Or TLD rant fashion. (laughs) How was your, you can talk about as much or as little as you want, Josephine. I got sick,
0: COVID-related. I didn't bounce back, not immediately. Like many people, I became incredibly fatigued uh, in a way that I am not used to. And um, I recognize some of the experience from friends, loved ones, people I know who've had similar fatigue in different situations, different circumstances, obviously not the same, but I recognized some of the things that they had been telling me in my own experience, that I would just not be able to function. I would do a single thing, whatever it was, and be sweating and exhausted and incapable of doing anything again for at least another hour. (laughs) Any task whatsoever immediately ruined me for the rest of the day, uh, or at least half a day. And I was deeply affected by
1: this. Knowing you, I'm almost feeling like it was a hole in the dam. But up until about today, (laughs) I think, the thing that I had
0: not realised was that I was stressing about uh, the work I do especially the PhD work I'm trying to do, just obviously wasn't happening because I was destroyed. I was fatigued. I was trying to teach at the same time. I'm very glad I was. I feel incredibly proud of the work I was able to do. But everything had a tremendous toll. I was really, really tired. Obviously couldn't record or edit the podcast. I'm hoping that I will have the energy to do it so that you will hear this dear listener at some point in the near future after we've actually recorded this. But the truth is, I had no energy. But the worst part of it was the little energy that I did have every day. I didn't spend doing something lovely or doing the work that I really wanted to do, except for the things that were absolutely essential or I believed were absolutely essential. Any extra energy, I spent worrying terribly about all the things I wasn't doing or wasn't able to do. Because I was suddenly unwell. And that included this podcast. There are projects that I've been wanting to do with people that I just suddenly wasn't able to do. And I felt terrible, not because I couldn't do them, although that was a big, big disappointment. The worst feeling was this feeling that I was lesser than, and that I was not taking care of responsibilities to others. And I had no idea that that's really what I was thinking in my head until it was pointed out to me in a very kind way that this is not the perspective that I would require of anyone else. And what has been so beautiful has been to hear verbally a different message from others, including from Jay, the things, the four things that Jay just said to me. Um, They started the conversation today with that, and burst into tears. (laughs) I can tell you the impact of words that we should be hearing, either from others or ourselves. And obviously, the most difficult thing to tell yourself is the thing you didn't hear from someone else at formative times in your life. So I'm very, very grateful for the very dear people in my life who have taken the time to tell me things that have been very moving. Have meant a lot. I am going to spend the little extra energy that I have in my days at the moment doing the things I would like to do, doing the things I would need to do, and trying to not spend that time saying mean things to myself and worrying as much as I have been about how awful people feel about my lack of ability
1: to do things. I think there is a part of us that is always hypercritical. Of us, And when we get stressed, it's almost like it gains a little bit more voice than it would normally have. And I find if I'm tired or stressed that my ability to let the outside voices in slows down. All of those negative voices just slowly grind away at who you are. And it grinds you down and you don't have the resilience and the strength to push it away. And you end up so on edge, so full of cortisol, so full of stress, that even the small things that you would normally just kind of brush past, just start to hit. You've got no protection between you and the world. So everything hits and everything hurts and you have to engage with everything. And some of us have over the years have had to build up our new coping mechanisms And sometimes our new coping mechanisms are a little bit new and a little bit, I would not say, untested, but they aren't quite as routine as, as the old ones were. But after a while, you slowly try enough of the stuff that you know is new and calms you down, and it just starts to drop that adrenaline down, drop that fear, fight, flight thing down so that you can deal with the world. But when you're exhausted, this is the voice of somebody who's, had a massively bad post-viral fatigue problem when I was in my mid-twenties, which is why I do not want to catch COVID, because I know that having had that makes me far more likely to have the bastard again. I can remember just the despair of never being able to do anything again, but also the way that that changed view of self impacts you. You go from being able to run around and do stuff and party and be awake 70 something hours, which is what I used to do. I went from that to somebody who could fall asleep in sunbeams. I would be sitting on the floor and literally just curl up and fall asleep on the hard floor for 20 minutes because I had just dropped out from exhaustion. And that the only way out of it was to listen to my body. And that was my way out of it. And I'm not saying that everyone gets out of it in the same way. And I'm not saying that everyone has the same thing. Your experience is not my experience. My experience of fatigue and post-viral syndrome is not your experience of post-viral syndrome. The thing that I had to do was just slow the fuck down and listen to my body. And when my body said, you're going off to bed and I'm like, but it's eight o'clock at night. I want to stay awake. (laughs) No, 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 no. When my body says you're going off to bed, you go off to bed and you sleep. And you just start listening to yourself and listening to what your body wants and making that the priority over the other things. It
0: takes a lot for me to take that in and to accept that that's what I've been doing and be get out of the habit of doing that. And so that's sort of where I've been at. It's been compounded by all sorts of things. It's a very emotional reflection to realise that that's what's been happening and what's been tremendously positive has been the kindness of others. It is very, very easy, especially at the moment, to become isolated. And I most certainly have been in this feeling. And it has been exhausting and fatiguing just in itself to deal with the emotional onslaught of fatigue and exhaustion. And... I would love to believe that once you have had the light bulb moment of realizing, ah, this isn't how I should behave once in my life, then surely I have now overcome it forever. And I am very good at forgetting two things. One, that that is not the case. And two, forgetting that I'm not alone in
1: Mm. feeling this way it's weird. I know that when I had, and I'm going to call it a wobble or a breakdown or whatever I want to call it. I know when I had that time of being too stressed at the end of February, that I was in my mode of not listening and dealing properly with the world. And I recognized it. And the moment I recognized it, I could start to deal with it because I could say to somebody, Hey, when you're telling me that This project is really stressful. I'm hearing you tell me to work harder. And they were like, no, (laughs) that's not what I'm trying to say. And let's sit down and look at how we help you. And it's just like, right, how do we do this? What do we need to do? And I just went away and woke up and just went, I do this and this and this. Wrote to my colleague and said, I think I should do this. And they're like, fantastic. You've arrived at the right decision that we've been trying to drive you at for three weeks. But it wasn't that despair. It was, we couldn't get through to you. You'd stopped interacting with reality. And that stopping interacting is that start of that. The stress is overwhelming. The worry is overwhelming. Everything is overwhelming. So you build your own narrative, which is trying to protect you. And it's your brain trying to stop the hurting. But sometimes stopping the hurting is like, whoa, we need to do time out and figure out just how to calm this down, how to get some of this protection back up. Because you're falling into old patterns. You're falling into old behaviors. And just take the time. But the thing is, it's taken about six weeks for me to turn completely around. But it only took about two weeks for me to go from, should I be at work functional to, oh, a lot more functional. And then the last couple of weeks have been me slowly ramping from that 75, 70 to 80% kind of like there, but not quite not quite firing a little bit slow to zing, 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 which is what I've been doing today. And it's a bit like, yeah, I feel like I've finally hit my straps. And a lot of that has been going, I just need to take some time. I need to do things that I really enjoy. I need to sit down. So one of the things that I've started doing is I know that music can really impact on my mood. So in the mornings, I have a playlist of power ballads that I sing to in the shower. It's meatloaf and Bonnie Tyler and a little bit of Guns N' Roses because, you know, you can take the kid out of the 80s, but you can never take the 80s out of the kid. Stuff that makes me feel good. And then in the evenings, I put on some classical music and I sit there with an alcohol-free gin and tonic and sit down and read a book for an hour before going off to bed. But they're the things that work for me. They're not going to work for everybody. But some of it for me has just been going, hey, I matter enough to really, really put some effort in on. The things that I really, really like to do. I mean, weirdly enough, one of the things that I did was got rid of a whole pile of clothes because the clothes were of past me. The clothes were of me who used to try to be a suited and booted lesbian or a suited and booted butch. And that's not really me. I'm not that butch. I can't do... That tweedy style that a lot of trans masculine or mask of center people do, because it's just not a genuine reflection of me. It's what I do when I'm trying to be something and fit in. It's not a genuine reflection of me. So I went through everything and just went, Is this a genuine reflection of me? No, right. It's in the pile. I threw away a couple of things that. There's parts of me going, I really love that cricket jumper. And it's like, seriously, you used to run around wearing a cable knit cricket jumper. Seriously, why would you do that? And just kind of looked at, okay, I used to do that because of this. And I don't do it now because my style is Hawaiian shirts and hoodies. And it's like, then Hawaiian shirts and hoodies and crazy 70s jackets is very much your style. Do that. Throwing away the clothes of past me was almost like throwing away some of the old behaviors of me, being very, very reflective in the protective mechanisms that got me through to now are not the ones that I take forward. I survived all of that stuff by building protective mechanisms, by doing things to protect myself mentally and physically and all of those things to keep me safe. And by throwing them away and getting rid of them, it was almost like, yeah. Those things, I don't do them anymore. I don't want to do them anymore. I now have protective mechanisms that work a lot better for me now. For the person I am now, there are some things that I do and I'm like, this actually feels amazing. You know, being open and honest with people about how I feel about stuff, it never would have got me doing that 20 years ago because I wasn't sure if people wanted to hear that from me. That's what I used to think because I always used to run myself down.
0: The things you're saying, I think, are all too commonly true for people who have had either traumatic experiences, or are different, or having traumatic experience because they're different. It does almost always go together. Because I've definitely recognised this use of certain mechanisms in order to try to survive potentially dangerous environment. That the coping mechanism that I've been using last few months where i'm really tired do not show weakness do not show that we're tired carry on regardless that's my first impulse why because the situations i was in some time ago it was not safe to do that it was much better to try to carry on cope and get by do not ask for help do not look for help because it's not there that's the presumption right Because that was the case in the past. It was not there. It was not available. So don't look for it because it isn't there. So carry on. Do not look for help. Hold yourself to an incredibly high standard. Why? Because it's a really good coping mechanism when you need to function at an incredibly high standard in order to survive. So these things are functional coping mechanisms when in incredibly traumatic situations. Whether that traumatic situation is current, that's a different thing. Because the other coping mechanism that I most certainly have, and I know this is not uncommon, is to look for those traumatic events. And if they're not there, to start planning for when they are there. Because that's also a really good coping mechanism if you're in constant trauma or constant stress. That is a really good coping mechanism if you're in situations that are constantly dangerous, which for some of us is the case. And doesn't change. And even for some of us, that is a question of relativity. Are you in more danger or <laughs> less danger? Not Are you in danger or not? It's a, it's a question of degrees. The truth is, I am very lucky to be in a situation where I no longer need to use those coping mechanisms in order to survive. My body and mind has not realized that yet. And... When I'm in moments of fatigue and anxiety, I forget very quickly that I don't necessarily need to rely on those coping mechanisms. And it's my body and mind trying to take care of me. And that took me a while to figure out too, to realize that actually it's not an unkindness to myself to have these coping mechanisms, quite the opposite. But the truth is that the better solution to my current situation is to realize that pushing myself well beyond my limit, A, isn't going to work, and B, is not needed by the circumstance that reaching out and asking for help is exactly the right thing to do right now, but it is most certainly the most functional coping mechanism for me, because it is there, as it should be for everyone in this situation, but the truth is not everyone has that circumstance, and I know I haven't always in my life. It is still really hard for me to accept The reality of the situation is that. And I know for some people, one of the best treatments and therapy is actually to have that dialogue with yourself, to try to stop in the moment of panic and exhaustion and fear and ask yourself the simple question, is this fear of whatever it is actually related to the thing that's happening now? Or is it related to something that was before? Can you try to reach out because the best experiences I've had, the most moving personal experiences I've had in the last few months has been telling my colleagues in a group chat that I'm not feeling very well and having a really really lovely response. Speaking to my colleague Sarah today and getting tremendous support from her, speaking to Jane, and as always, speaking to my wife who always, always knows where I'm at seemingly speaking to my wife who, who is very very good at telling me that this is not happening right now and I don't need to behave like it like it is and that moves me to the core in the most beautiful way but it also challenges me and this is an awfully common experience but especially for those of us who are different in lots of different ways and especially since the fears of things that we have happening tend to be kind of constant. <laughs> it's it's kind of ludicrous, you know, this idea of saying, well, I'm frightened of a world where someone might be really mean to me because of who I am. You can't just say to them, well, that's not going to happen. You you can't say the fear in itself is unfounded. But the coping mechanism we deal with that fear may not relate to the current reality. I don't know if that constitutes advice. It doesn't, because for those of you listening, you may be in very different situations, and I do not want to presuppose, and I do wish for everyone that they have this kind of connection. For those of you who do, I hope very much that you feel that you can reach out to those who are there. And for those of you who don't feel that you don't have that connection right now, I hope that hearing us talk about it a little bit might help as well. Because I would have liked very much a podcast like this to exist when I was younger and hear queer people talk about this kind of stuff and at least say, hey, it sucks. (laughs) And I'm sorry you have to cope the way you are right now. Mm. I really do hope that you find yourself in a position where you don't have to cope like that anymore. Because it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about the culture and structures you are in and your response to that is normal and natural. And as Jay said, I'm very proud of you. I'm very excited
1: to see what you do and you're loved. And you're an amazing person.
0: I too. And that's the kind of reality check I really like.
1: (laughs) That's a proper reality check. Part of doing this is, is sometimes is almost talking to past me. And past me could be me of like three months ago. Or past me could be me of like when I was 12 or 13. Something like this would have been amazing to know that there are grown-up queers, to know that it's okay to feel the things that I was feeling. It's okay to be scared and worried and frightened and upset and angry and all of those things that we constantly seem to go through. And it's okay, and your coping mechanisms, they get you through now, might not be the ones that you use in the future. My best favouritest book to give to people is Hello, Cruel World by Kate Bornstein. I give it to pretty much anybody that I hear of going through. I I don't know how many copies I've bought. I think I've bought at least 10 copies over the years since it came out and given them to people and sent them to people and hand delivered them or not delivered them, just had Amazon or somebody drop them off. And if you want a copy, just DM me on Twitter and I will ensure a copy arrives for you because one of the biggest messages that I got out of that book is whatever gets you through to the morning, whatever gets you through that dark night, whatever allows you to survive that dark night and to wake up in the morning. That is the thing that you do as long as you don't hurt anybody else. That's it. You do that thing and you get through and those coping mechanisms, some of them are brilliant. Some of them are a bit fucked up. Some of them are weird. Your coping is not my coping. The things that get you through, are not the things that would get me through. But you get through it. You find the thing that gets you through it. And then when you're a little bit older and a little bit more stable, you figure out the coping mechanisms that are good for you now. The ones that you can get rid of and go, "Mm, that was great when I was 12 or 13. But when I'm 53, it's not quite the best. Let's try something else. I've tried it for 40 years. It's no longer working. We constantly try on different styles. I mean, God knows I've tried on so many different styles over the years and I've finally arrived at something that works for me now that makes me happy to dress in it. That makes me feel comfortable. That makes me feel like I can be out in the world. And that's not just how I dress physically. That's how I am mentally. That's how I am emotionally. That's how I am with friends. All of those things. I can just feel comfortable being me in the world. And that is a massive privilege. But what I also want is I want that for everybody. I want that for every kid. I don't want people to feel that they have to be somebody else just to exist, that they have to hide who they are. It is that thing of just, I want every kid to have the opportunity to live in the world wholly as they are and be comfortable with it and be happy with it and be fulfilled by it. God, I'm coming across
0: super earnest. I think there's no problem with being earnest like that. I think that's exactly the world we want. We spend so much time in these worlds we construct because we're so frightened of the world that it is that we often do not spend enough time considering and working as well for the worlds that we want. Because that's what gets in the way, the coping mechanism that we used to survive because it's a good coping mechanism when it is no longer functioning in the way that it was it can preclude us from considering the world that we would like. I am all about that earnestness. I love that. It makes me very happy to consider that. I mean, if we have to deal with performative worlds that don't exist, at least pick one that's good, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Skyrim! <laughs>
0: I think everyone should have that opportunity, Jay. I agree. And that's why I think expressing these things earnestly and expressing to each other those things we wish we had heard, talking about coping mechanisms and how complicated they are, but also how important they are and how we can try and cope together is exactly the way that we can achieve that earnestly. And profoundly, and it means the world to me. And I know it. I'm all for it. Stay earnest. <laughs> that's that's yeah. I really do believe in that earnestly, and I really like that. Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: thank you. You are completely welcome, and I'm so pleased I could be there for you. It actually makes me feel really lovely things. So, in the time that has passed, I've been watching a shed load of stuff. I have not watched quite as much Keanu Reeves as I perhaps should have or could have or would have liked to. I did find one that I started to watch and have yet to finish because my God he had some tangers in his past. So Feeling Minnesota is I'm struggling to find a redeeming feature other than Keanu Reeves being breathtaking in it. It is definitely a film of the mid-90s. It is lacking in pace, writing, comedy. I mean, it's got Cameron Diaz. It's got really, really good actors with a really, really bad plot and some of the worst writing I could imagine. And it is literally two small town, dumb as anything brothers bumbling around the world involving the murder of the one and only female character. It's not passing the Mitchell test in any way halfway through, at which point I kind of gave up because I'm just like, this is not Coen Brother good. You know, if it was Coen Brothers, I could see the same story being done in a really wonderful, dark, hilarious way with that deadpanness and everything. But in, he is breathtakingly deadpan in this, in the very Keanu way of kind of strolling up and delivering the line with goodness and heart and all of those things but it's just like some of the worst lines possible some of the worst plotting and scripting possible the characters i it took me half an hour or so to figure out the difference between two of them and i've still yet to figure out the main driver of the plot other than one of them was fucking the other's girlfriend and then i just i was just like why how did this happen and i hate to say it Keanu has lots of chemistry. So does Cameron Diaz. They appear to be operating on completely different chemistries. I cannot figure out what anyone is doing. Now, whether that is because I was watching it when I was super stressed and therefore my ability to process things, to take in information and anything like that is really limited. And maybe I should have just reduced myself to cartoons at the time or something like that. But quite frankly, I was watching it just going, I have no not only no clue of what's going on, but no desire to watch anymore, no matter how breathtaking Keanu Reeves is. It's a one from me, one star. (laughs) See, I'm not as passionately upset about it as I was with Constantine. Because Constantine I was annoyed about and I was able to dissect and tell you exactly what was wrong with it. This I'm just like, disappointed it has so much potential and is so fucking bad <laughs> <laughs> well
0: dear listener thank you once again for joining us for it is complicated that was our conversation about coping mechanisms and whether or not canaries could can be breathtaking in a movie and still be disappointing. I'm not sure if Keanu Reeves was disappointing, but the film was, apparently. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to support us in doing this weird thing that we keep doing, feel free to come to our Patreon, patreon.com slash itiscomplicated, or one word. Or come join us on Twitter, which is it is complicated with the last E missing, because Twitter. Come join us there. Or just join us next time on our podcast, no matter what, because we'd love to have you. And... Thank you
1: again, Jane, for a lovely conversation, as always. It is always a pleasure and delight. And now I shall press stop recording.